Shalom. This is Reverend John Ferret, and now we're in Lesson 7 of the Torah study series, The Gospel According to Moses, the Book of Exodus. Now, we had just covered in Lesson 6 the end of Chapter 2 and really the first verse of Chapter 3. And if you remember, we saw how the mountain of God moved. The mountain of God, Mount Sinai, as specified in Exodus 3.1. This is where God brought his people into a new covenant. Some call it the Sinai Covenant. With his first Redeemer. His first Redeemer was Moses. But then, the mountain of God moves. And we see this in Isaiah 2.3, Isaiah 66.20. In Micah chapter 4, verses 1 through 4, the mountain of God had moved to Mount Zion, the Temple Mount, Jerusalem. And there, Jesus established a new covenant, the mountain of God. Jesus the Messiah, the ultimate Redeemer. So once again, God shows us that to understand Exodus and Moses in the first redemption, it helps us to grasp the picture of the ultimate redemption in Jesus. So now, we're going to enter into chapter 3, verses 1 through 8. Reading from the American New American Standard, Now Moses was pastoring the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. The angel of the Lord appeared to him in a blazing fire from the midst of a bush. And he looked, and behold, the bush was burning with fire, yet the bush was not consumed. So Moses said, I must turn aside now and see this marvelous sight, why the bush is not burned up. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to look, God called to him, from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, Here I am. Then he said, Do not come near here. Remove your sandals from your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. He said also, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Then Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. The Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and given heed to their cry because of their taskmasters, for I am aware of their sufferings. So I have come down to deliver them from the power of the Egyptians and to bring them up from the land to a good and spacious land, to a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanite and the Hittite, and the Amorite and the Perizzite, and the Hivite and the Jebusite. So there's a major concept here in these verses, and one of them, major concepts, we'll take a look at two major ones, is the angel of the Lord. The angel of the Lord appeared to him out of the bush. Vayera Malach Yahweh. Now just as an aside, before we study this, I wanted to mention again, those of you especially who have are listening, maybe perhaps to this is your first podcast from Light of Menorah, uh, it talks about Jethro being the father-in-law of Moses. Now, I dealt with this in detail in Lesson 4 of this series, Part 2. And we found out that the Hebrew word 
that has been translated into English as father-in-law basically means a relative by marriage. So when we actually take a look at the Hebrew and put the verses in context, it's pretty clear then that Reuel, who we learn about in Exodus chapter 2, who's the father of Zipporah and her other six sisters, is definitely the father-in-law of Moses, the relative by marriage. Jethro probably is one of the, uh, could be a son of Reuel, possibly, or he could be a husband of one of the other sisters. So therefore, it seems likely that Jethro is a brother-in-law. So we took care of that. And you can read about that in detail, or hear about it in detail in um, Lesson 4, Part 2 of this series. Now, let's turn to the major issue. Who is the angel of the Lord? Who do some people say he is? This is this we have to take a look at. I'm going to read from Genesis 16, verse 13. And just to put it in context, Hagar has been basically thrown out of Abraham's tent, and she is now in the wilderness of Shur, and she encounters the angel of the Lord. But in verse 13 in the Bible, and it's especially clear in the Hebrew, we read this, Then she called, meaning Hagar, then she called the name of the Lord, which is in all capital letters, which means in the original Hebrew we have God's name, Yahweh, then she called the name of Yahweh who spoke to her. The Bible is saying to us that it's God, it's Yahweh, it's the Lord who spoke to her. Hagar, Hagar goes on to say, You are a God who sees, for she said, Have I even remained alive here after seeing him? So the Bible is crystal clear. The angel of the Lord that is speaking to Hagar is God. God is speaking to her, and she sees God in the manifestation of an angel. Now, what do the rabbis say? So I'm going into the Orthodox Jewish rabbi commentary called the Chumash. So the Orthodox rabbis say, although an angel, not God, had spoken to her, she understood that he was God's emissary. She went on to exclaim that though it was common for angels to be seen in Abraham's house, now she had even seen one here in the desert. I am puzzled by the fact that the Bible clearly says that the angel of the Lord is God. However, the rabbis say, no, it wasn't God. They contradict the Bible. I don't understand this. I am not a religious Jew practicing Orthodox rabbinic Judaism. There's differences in the practice of Judaism, just like there are differences in denominations and so on with regards to the church. But with Orthodox Judaism, I, I do know that the Talmud, of which a lot of this commentary is probably coming from, the Talmud is hold, uh, held up as almost equal to the Word of God. I, I, I'm not 
Jewish, I don't practice Judaism, but I have a very, very, very difficult time when I hear somebody say, here's the word of God, I'm sorry, it doesn't say that, it actually says this. And like I said, that's very difficult for me. When I bring my brain to the Bible, and the Bible says the angel of the Lord is God, and then I read the rabbi say, no, 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 <laughs> uh, it's something different. I have difficulty with that. So, But this is what the rabbis are saying. The angel of the Lord is an angel, it's not God. Matter of fact, let's take a look at another one. I'm going to go to Genesis 22. And in Genesis 22, I'm reading verses 14 through 16. This is, in context, about the sacrifice of Isaac. And so here's Abraham taking his son Isaac, the child of promise, up the mountain. And when he takes him up the mountain, uh, he's ready to sacrifice him. And all of a sudden, the angel of the Lord appears and stops him from killing Isaac. So reading verses 14 through 16, Abraham called the name of the place the Lord will provide, as it is said to this day. In the mount of the Lord it will be provided. Then the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven. So there it is again. Here's the angel of the Lord calling to Abraham a second time and said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord. Okay, okay in the quote, who's declared? It's the Lord. Because you have done this thing and have not withheld your your son, your only son. And it goes on that I will in, indeed greatly bless you and multiply you and so on. So in here, we take a look at Orthodox rabbinic commentary on that verse. And in verse 15, in the Orthodox rabbinical commentary, they say, having sacrificed the ram and named the mountain, Abraham looked at this event into the standard behavior for his descendants. Only then did the angel reappear to announce the great blessing. So again, in verse 15, what are the rabbis saying? The angel appeared uh, to announce the great blessing. But listen to what they say in verse 16. By myself I swear, just as I am eternal, so my oath is internal. God had already promised Abraham, Abraham that his offspring would be numerous as the stars and the dust. Now he, meaning God, assured Abraham that they would prevail over their enemies. Now wait a minute. In verse 15, their commentary, the commentary by the rabbis is, it's the angel of the Lord, but in verse 16 it says, no, God is speaking. I, I, I wish the rabbis would make up their mind. Uh, who is it? Is it the angel of the Lord just an angel, or is it God? So it's very interesting. Another one, though, is the events of the birth of Samson. And this is in Judges 13, and I'm going to be reading in Judges 13, verses 21 through 22. And again, what happened is, in context, Samson's mom... Uh, meets a man it turns out to be the angel of the Lord and announces Samson's birth and that he is going to be a Nazarite she goes home to tell her husband Manoah and so here we are uh, thinking about what Manoah has to say 
And we're in verses 21 through 22. Now the angel of the Lord did not appear to Manoah or his wife again. Then Manoah knew that he was the angel of the Lord. So Manoah said to his wife, We surely will die, for we have seen God. So when we look at this, I do have the rabbinic Jewish commentary on the book of Judges. And so, again, let's take a look what the rabbis have to say. Now, what I have to do, first of all, is this. In Judges 13, I read this. So this is the exact translation from the Hebrew. So Manoah said to his wife, We will surely die, for we have seen God. Now, when I go into the rabbinic orthodox, rabbinical commentary, they have the Bible verses there, both in Hebrew and English. And I want you to hear verse 22. Manoah said to his wife, We shall surely die, for we have seen a godly angel. They actually put in words that are not in the original text. Because in the original text, it says, We shall surely die, for we have seen Elohim. We have seen God. And here the rabbis are saying, no, the words don't say that. The words actually say, we shall surely die for we have seen a godly angel. This, this is unbelievable. Their comments are, in 4 verse 21, Manoah knew that his visitor had been an angel, either because he went up in the flame of the altar or because he simply disappeared. And then in verse 22, Manoah feared that he and his wife could not survive the vision of an angel. He, Manoah didn't say that. He said, we have seen God. He thought that the verse, no human can see God's face and live, he didn't realize that it applies to angels also. Nowhere in the entire Old Testament, in the entire Hebrew Scriptures, do we hear anything at all, or the New Testament, that if you see an angel, that you will die. <laughs> this doesn't make any sense. So they're putting words in the Bible that are, aren't there. They're saying that Manoah did not see God. He only saw an angel. They're saying <laughs> Manoah made a mistake. The Bible's wrong. But the Bible's precise. Manoah said he saw God. So for me, I am not a religious Jew. I am not a religious Orthodox Jew. I do not practice Orthodox rabbinic Judaism. I really disagree with these commentaries with regards to who the angel of the Lord is. I come down to this statement. I bring my brain to the Bible. I say the Bible is the inspired word of God. This is first. And so my, ask question, my question is, who do you trust? Rabbinic opinion or the very words of God? I choose the very words of God. Now one thing that's I've, has occurred to me over these years, could it be the rabbis can't handle the idea that God appears to people like a man? Remember? when the three men appeared to Abraham? One of them was God. Manoah, Manoah's wife, saw a man. It was God. Manoah's wife saw the angel of the Lord. 
saw him as a man. In other words, could it be that the rabbis can't handle the idea of God becoming a man? <laughs> Remember the three men, as I mentioned, that appeared to Abraham. This is in Genesis 18. We get to Genesis 19.1 and it says the two angels then went to Sodom and Gomorrah. So we're taking a look at this entire uh, event, putting it in context, and therefore three angels showed up and they appeared as men. Now what do the rabbis say about this? Oh, it's very simple. Those were angels. One of them happened to be Raphael, the other one happened to be Michael, and the other one happened to be Gabriel. <laughs> it doesn't say that. The Bible does not say the, the a Bible says that they're, they're, they're angels, the angel of the Lord, but it doesn't even name them. Again, the question is, what does the Bible say? The inspired word of God, the very words of God, not rabbinic midrash. So when we take a look at the Bible and we go to Genesis 16, verse 13, we, found, we find out by the very words of God, the inspired word of God, that Hagar says, I sp that God spoke to me. God spoke to me. The very words of God, directly from the Masoretic text of the Hebrew. Abraham, Genesis 18.33, the Lord, Yahweh, departed, but he appeared to Abraham as a man. And the implication of the angel of the Lord. What does the very words of God say? The angel of the Lord is God. Manoah, Judges 13.22. God inspired the writer of Judges to write. That Manoah says, we have seen God and surely we're going to die. He did not say, we have seen an angel of the Lord. What are the very words of God? The very words of God said, the angel of the Lord is God. So what do we conclude? In Exodus 3.2, this is God. And it's got to be a manifestation. Let, let, let's call it a face of God. It is a way that God can appear to Moses or, in terms of the case of Hagar or Abraham, a way that God can actually appear to Abraham, Hagar, Moses, us, in an appearance, in a manifestation where we can see God and not die. In Exodus 33:20, God specifically says to Moses, "No one can see my face and live." One thing that I want to bring up about the manifestation of God, which I think um, might be helpful, is we know in the church there is the doctrine of the Trinity. And with regards to the doctrine of the Trinity, we say God is in three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Person, through three persons. Now this whole concept of the Trinity started way back, third, fourth century AD. And the Greek word that's used in their writings for th persons, the Greek word there is prosopon. The Strong's number for prosopon is G4383, and in the New Testament, and in probably up to the 1st, 2nd, even to the 3rd century, maybe into the 4th century A.D., prosopon was a word meaning face or appearance. The appearance of a person, the face of a person, or the manifestation of a person.
Prosopon was used for the idea of a mask in Greek plays. The appearance of the character. Now, later, Prosopon, its use in Greek was changed to person. So, the church is saying three persons in one God. However, when we take a look at the earliest meaning of Prosopon, as faces, wow, the faces of God, the appearances of God, the manifestations of God. The angel of the Lord is a manifestation of God. It is God. It's a face of God. To me, this helps me grasp the idea that Jesus is God in, in, probably in a more realistic way, not a person. The Muslims say, oh, those Christians, they have three, three persons in one God. They got three gods. Religious Jews, and, I, and not just Orthodox, but many religious Jews would say three persons in one God, you got three gods. This communication that we have in person, uh, we're not doing a good job describing this. But when we go to the Greek, and we go back to the Greek of the New Testament, it's his faces. This helps me grasp this better. Remember what John said to Philip? This is in John 14, 9. He's talking to Philip. And Philip said, show us the Father, Jesus. And what does he say? Philip, if you've seen me, you have seen the Father. What is Jesus saying? I'm the appearance of the Father. I am the manifestation of the Father. I am a face of the Father. I am like the angel of the Lord. Wow. That's awesome. So perhaps we should talk about not persons of God, but the appearances of God, the manifestations of God, the faces of God. So that is a major concept that is presented in these verses, Exodus 3, verses 1 through 8. We're going to continue on with another major concept in part 2 here of Lesson 7. And this time, we are going to be taking a look at a very interesting verse that's going to take us all the way to Jesus. Once again, Jesus says, John 5.39, All scripture testifies of me. All they had when Jesus said that was the Hebrew scriptures, the Old Testament. And so where is it that, where is it that the scriptures witness of Jesus? We're going to see this in one verse here in Exodus 3, verses 1 through 8. Bless you. I'll see you in part 2. Shalom.